The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Let's begin this session also with uh, meditation. We'll sit quietly for maybe <clears throat> 10 minutes or so, and then I'll offer you a guided reflection. As we continue this sitting, take a few moments to see if you can set yourself at ease more than you are. Can you let go or relax? Soften into your skin from the inside. Letting go of any ways in which you're braced or held in your body. Maybe as you exhale, softening the muscles of your face. Softening muscles of your shoulder. Softening your belly. Softening your arms, your hands. Softening the muscles of your legs. And then sitting here, see if you can bring to mind or evoke the feeling of warm-hearted kindness. Warm-hearted kindness. Perhaps you can remember a time where you were the recipient of someone's kindness, friendly kindness, or a time that you felt that way for someone else. Maybe you remember a time and a place. And see what it... What feelings in your body come with warm-hearted kindness friendliness. What happens in your heart? What happens in your mind, your head? See if you can put put aside any doubts or other concerns you have. And for a few moments here, give yourself over 
into appreciating, valuing the state of warm-hearted kindness. And in this way of being, can you extend kindness to yourself? Can you gaze upon yourself kindly with goodwill and maybe appreciation, but to have experience of kindness towards yourself, a generosity of spirit, warm-heartedness, appreciation, sympathy, and goodwill for yourself. Here's a person who's gone through a lifetime of joys and sorrows. You had your struggles and your times of goodness, wellness. And in putting aside any challenging feelings or attitudes you have for yourself, for a few moments, to be here with goodwill, kindness, acceptance for yourself as you are. Tradition says that you know you have one symptom of a goodwill towards yourself is that you're able then to breathe easily. Just breathing simply, easily. Here, goodwill to yourself. And then see if you can bring to mind some person who has been or who was a sexual partner for you, for whom the relationship is uncomplicated, not a lot of resentment or... And then towards this person, can you offer a few moments of warm-hearted kindness. Open your heart, your mind, to look upon this person with goodwill, tenderness. A person like you with joys and sorrows. offer your kindness to this person. 
simple, ordinary friendliness, goodwill, the kind of goodwill where you really wish the person happiness and well-being. And then from this point of view, from the perspective of warm-hearted kindness, how might you physically share your affection for this person? How might you express your kindness or your affection physically with this person? And if this person was an appropriate sexual partner, how might that friendliness, affection, goodwill, wishing the person well, how might, how might that be expressed in ways that would be called sexual? What would sexual expression be like? a warm-hearted appreciation was in the mix. And then you can take a few deep breaths. When you're ready, you can open your eyes.
So, if we bring in to our spiritual path, the Eightfold Path, our sexual life, our sexuality, and think of it as the ninth part, ninth factor of the Ninefold Path, then we have the idea of wrong sexuality and right sexuality. And one way of kind of understanding right sexuality would be the kind of sexual expression that uh, was in harmony, was aligned with the Eightfold Path. So sexuality that had right view as part of it, right intention as part of it, right speech as part of it, right action as part of it. I don't know about right livelihood. (laughs) Um, And then right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And uh, so one of the ways of understanding right view is that right view is understanding how the Four Noble Truths apply in any given situation. So to approach our sexual life from the point of view of the Four Noble Truths, understand where where there is dissatisfaction or suffering and where there is clinging or grasping, craving. And then learning to let go of that. So to look at our experience from the very simple vantage point of, is there suffering here? And where is the possibility of freedom from that suffering? That's a very powerful perspective to bring on any situation at all, but I think even more so on sexuality. The reason is that human sexuality, sexual expression, is probably one of the, probably the most complex forms of human communication and expression and psychological functioning than anything else that humans do. You know, it's not a simple thing. Just, you know, have a desire, you you fulfill the desire and that's done with. Um, There's a lot of, uh, tremendous amount of um, uh, identity issues that come into play cultural issues that come into play about what is appropriate and what's sexually, what's supposed to happen in sexual relationships. Um, uh, Our identity issues of who we are, who we are in relationship to other people come into play. Our relationship to our desires, our relationship to our beliefs, our relationship to our spirituality, um, uh, a connection to our, our fears and our aspirations and hopes. There's, so, there's a tremendously, you know, it's a, our sexual lives are a tapestry of a complex uh, interweaving of many, many, many different factors that come into play to make it all work, to make it kind of happen. And I think it's very hard for someone, certainly it's very hard when you're 14 or 15 to appreciate how complex this phenomena is. And so to, be, to practice mindfulness of sexuality is to begin to tease apart some of the threads in the tapestry not to see it as being a unitary, singular thing. And, um, and so one of the vantage points, one of the kind of wedges to see what is the, what's going on is to begin looking at it from the point of view of right view. Is there suffering here? And is there, cra- is there uh, craving here? And then we can also look at the vantage point of the, 
what's called the second factor of the Eightfold Path, which is right intention. And that's a very nice uh, division between wrong intention and right intention. And wrong intention are those intentions which cause harm, that lead to suffering. And so, it's obviously, one of them is, uh, obviously leading to suffering is the intention of cruelty or hostility. The other is uh, somewhat different from that, is the uh, intention of ill will. Cruelty means that you want to cause harm. Ill will is you want something bad to happen to the person. You have angry. And then um, lust. So lust is considered one of the sources of suffering here in this kind of scheme. And then the right intention is the opposite of those which is, uh, the tradition says, is uh, for opposite of cruelty is compassion. The opposite of ill will is loving kindness. And the opposite of um, lust is letting go. So if there's going to be sexual expression, can sexual expression be devoid of the first three, cruelty, hostility, and lust? And this morning I added fear, because I think fear should probably be in that list. And then, um, and can it be filled with compassion, kindness, <clears throat> and appropriate letting go? And the question is, what is letting go that makes sexuality appropriate? The, um, um, and so here the idea is that sexual expression can come together with the kind of respect, the kind of care, the kind of um, love that is characterized by compassion and loving kindness. And if it comes out of loving kindness, if loving kindness and compassion is part of the picture of our sexual expression, then does it, um, does it shape what form our sexual expressions take, our sexual activities take? And one of the, thing, one of the, one of the things that it means is that the, uh, when there's loving kindness and compassion, the, uh, uh, it, hopefully it goes in both directions for oneself and for others, but it really means we're taking in the other person's well-being as an important part of the picture. Um, it's easy, I know when I was a teenager, that my own satisfaction, my own sexual pleasure uh, took you know, such huge prominence that, uh, you know, that I wasn't really paying attention to you know, what the effect it had on the woman that I was with because I just didn't, you know, wasn't part of the, the hormones. And... Um, but so what happens if that's taken into, into account? And what form does sexual expression take when there is kindness or respect or appreciation or goodwill is really in the mix as opposed to there being lust in the mix or fear or, or hostility or intimidation or aggression or something, resentment. And then you can go through the others as well. So right speech. The primary thing about right speech is honesty. Is there really honesty in their sexual relationship? Um, is there uh, honesty about what the agreement people have to each other? Uh, are you honest about what? Are you willing to share what's happening with people? Yes, we have a commitment, but um, you don't really telling the person that you're doing. You're deviating from it. Are you um, honest about what motivates you? Are you sharing what's really going on for you with the other person? Um, um, so it, can there be right speech can there be honest speech undeceptive speech 
in relationship to our sexuality. I know sometimes people have a lot of aspirations and wishful thinking, <clears throat> sometimes subconsciously, about what sexual life is, uh, activity is supposed to do. <clears throat> sometimes sexuality is, um, is uh, strategic. And it's done for an outcome. That person will then stay with me. If we're sexual, then the person won't leave me. And so really it's an attempt to try to hold things in place. Or it's a way of kind of uh, overcoming some of the difficult difficulties in relationship. If we can just kind of get to bed, then we can kind of ignore the fact that we're fighting most of the time. And so there's, uh, there's other th- motivations for sexuality besides expression of affection with each other. And, um, but what if you're honest about that? You really on- there's real o- open honesty about what motivations are. I think that's called right speech in relationship to sexuality. And then there's right action, uh, so which means you don't harm, and no intentional harming, or no unintentional harming. And I think that sexuality is, again, very complex, and it's often connected to people's backgrounds. And people have very complicated, very painful backgrounds around sexuality. Um, and, uh, and if you step into someone's uh, life in a sexual way, uh, do you know what their background is? Do you know what you're stepping into? You might think it's, you know, just recreational sex. You know, it should be innocent enough. But the, who knows what happened in their youth? They might have been raped. They might have been sexually abused. They might have been betrayed in some very horrible way. And so it kind of opens that scar for them, depending on how you treat them. And so, um, you know, what causes harm could be very different for different people because of their background and the experiences they had in their life. So, so with care, the, you know, the right action means care around not causing harm, not taking what's not given. Um, I think that's a huge one, not taking what's not given. Uh, uh, par- sexual partners don't often have the same uh, idea or same feelings or, or desires for sexuality. So one might have want much more sex, one might want less sex, and then the one who wants more maybe is aggressive or pushes for it, and, and the other one finds, well, I give up, you know, okay, okay, I'll go along, <laughs> you know, just to get you off me. And um, the, um, so is, is that taking what's not given? Is that respectful of someone? And this is where the, the intention of, of letting go is, can be very important. Maybe that's one of the right intentions, let go. Can you let go of your desire enough that you're not forcing yourself on someone else or having unreasonable expectations given for who they are? Um, and uh, we know there are cultures in the world where, for example, men are assumed that they have rights to sex whenever, whenever they want it. And they force themselves on their wives. And this culture supports that idea. That's how it's supposed to work. But it's taking what's not given. <clears throat> and then... Um, and then there is um, uh, right, eff- right, ener- right effort, which is the effort to live skillfully. And there's right mindfulness. Is there mindfulness in the sexual expression? Do we ha- are we present enough to really track what was, what's going on for us? Are we monitoring and tracking our feelings, our motivations, our beliefs, our intentions, our, uh, our um, agendas we have with the sexuality? And then, I don't know what right concentration is in this regard, but uh, maybe it means just uh, staying present, 
staying present to what's going on, the whole shebang. So I believe that in this kind of approach, taking those into account, then uh, sexual expression, rather than being a distraction from a Buddhist life, can be a support for it. It's a way of helping us delve deeply into our inner life in such a way that we become freer, such a way we become kinder, such a way that we're not caught in the grips of clinging and, and desire, and in such a way that our spiritual life unfolds in relationship to others, to another person. It's not solitary and alone. Um, and, um, but that takes a huge commitment, because, partly because it doesn't, I think for enough people, it's not really a, um, a comfortable place to put a lot of focus or to have a lot of conversations with someone else because sexuality is so tender and, and there's so many shoulds and shouldn'ts, so many expectations people have, so many, you know, such a huge thing. And sometimes it's, you know, people feel more comfortable just even in, in couples not to talk about it, just kind of let it be, somehow occur. But to include it as part of a path of practice, <clears throat> actively and fully, um, uh, makes it part of the path, makes it part of, integrated into a, a full life of practice as opposed to a bifurcated life where I have my real spiritual practices on retreat <clears throat> and at home or with my partner or alone, my, my sexuality is just kind of, that's just kind of unfortunate or aside or an appendage to my life is not really central. Some people don't like this idea, what I just said, because they want spontaneity and they want the passion of lust. They want to be able to be passionate and spontaneous and lose themselves in the whole thing. And um, I don't know if kindness, appreciation, the Eightfold Path precludes energetic, passionate lovemaking, but, it, um, <clears throat> but I think there's some care needs to be had that we don't lose, we don't give in to, unconsciously then give in to, uh, intentions and motivations and feelings that later we would regret, or, le- or intentions and feelings which are not really part of the path itself. And then we come back over and over again in Buddhism, <clears throat> for better or for worse, to the idea of letting go, of renunciation. And uh, it's kind of a st- standard that we keep coming back to in Buddhism, Partly because it's the um, uh, you can't be free if you're living uh, under the compulsion of desire, and so uh, since sexuality has so much compulsion with it, sometimes sexual desire has so much compulsion, there are some people who find their freedom from that compulsion by becoming celibate, becoming monastic. But is that the only way, the only option, the only way to become free of that compulsion? And are there forms of sexual expression that don't come out of compulsion, but don't come out of craving or greed, but do come out of a kind of desire, um, but a desire to be free, a desire to be kind, desire to be compassionate, desire to express affection to people, and that affection comes out in sexual ways? That's the big question. Now, there are Buddhists, teachers, <clears throat> who would be very critical of me saying what I just said. 
because there's a very strong feeling that among some Buddhists that any sexual expression at all involves some kind of unhealthy clinging. And if you really were freed of all clinging, there'd be no sexuality at all. Maybe. But who knows? And are we going to take it as an abstract idea that someone else who's been celibate 50 years since they were 13, (laughs) that they know? Or are we going to take it, are we going to try to find out for ourselves? And uh, I put my faith in um, practicing and being very honest in the world of sexuality and being able to ferret out or separate out that which is unhealthy and that which is healthy, that which is not part of the path and that which is on the part of the path. And then in the, as we do that, uh, what it isn't like you know you, you, you figure it out once and for all, but as you take the path, you keep then making more and more separation. You start seeing, oh, there's... I, you know, I see now, I see there's, I did have kind of greed there. I did, I was clinging there. And then we find a different way and then we go a little further and it feels more subtle and more, more healthy or something, more skillful. And then we see, as we keep doing the path, more and more subtle areas of clinging, of holding on. And in that process, one of the things we learn to do is to let go. Let go of the compulsion of desire let go of the authority of desire so that sexual desire has no, has no authority over us. We have authority over ourselves and we can peacefully and happily choose what motivations to follow when it's appropriate to follow. Make some sense? So sexuality as part of the spiritual path. And that one of the ways to help find that is to use the Eightfold Path as a guide for it. So now, I'd like you guys to discuss this. And um, I would like you to share with each other a little bit about what you thought about what I just said. And do you have some sense of how uh, sexual life can be part of a spirit of a spirit of the Buddhist path as well, and how would it be that case? And just to make clear, <clears throat> even if you're asexual or non-sexual, you're still sexual. And even in those situations, it's part of your path because if you're asexual or non-sexual or you're celibate, chances are in the society we live in, in, in the body you're probably living in you're not completely free of some reference points to sexual life. And so how do you relate to that whole world of sexuality? If you're non-sexual, for example, happily non-sexual, you live in a society that's highly sexualized, where, you know, it's kind of, you get this impression, like, if I'm not sexual, I'm not really with it. You know, I'm kind of behind the curve or something, right? And so you might be happily asexual until you watch the movies. Oh, no. Really? (laughs) And so you have to come to terms with that. Maybe a deeper letting go has to happen. So the the topic of the conversation is your reactions to what I've just said and your thoughts about is it reasonable to think that sexuality can be included as an integral part of the Buddhist path. Is that clear enough? 
And uh, how should we do this discussion? Should we do it in, in groups like we did before? That was so nice. Or you think it'd be nicer to do it in smaller groups like three or something? Do you have a vote? What we had this morning? Well, I think I would like to suggest again that the men then go together. That's the men's quarter over here. And then uh, the you women can divide up into two groups. So again, I was reluctant to stop the conversation. It had such a nice feeling when groups cuddled. But uh, so, do we have a, someone who's going to volunteer to share from each group? <clears throat> Let's wait for the others then. The other groups? trouble with the mics. I guess a pink one in particular. And one of the things that we um, that we came up with was that um, uh, uh, the question uh, of sexual life can be part of the Buddhist path. And yes, that it is um, more complex, but also this can really apply to any relationship that that, that we may have, uh, um, friends, relatives, whatever, to look at right speech, you know, I mean, to look at all of that, to tease that apart with relations. But as we agreed the the sexual part, and we were also impressed, Gil, that none of us had ever looked at it this way. You know, to take to take the the sexual relationship as part of the the, the eightfold path, and that it was very um, kind of exciting to to look at it that way. Great, wonderful. Hi, and and to follow through on that, um, we were saying that. Um, in looking at the looking at sexual relationships through the eightfold path, that this was a much better way to be able to um, discern and uh, be, feel inner peace and guidance in a way where uh, we wouldn't constantly because sexual relations are so emotionally charged that sometimes you um, can doubt yourself and not be really sure um, you can think one way and then you could negate that because maybe you're being guided by by lust or you're being guided by um, another emotion and this way um, I feel that um, that we can all that basically um, there's much more peace in the decision making process and uh, right action comes from that and you would feel that there would be less suffering less harm and um, one would uh, know they're doing the right thing Great. for themselves and so the other person. So using the eightfold path as the, as the reference points. Yeah. 
the framework. Yeah, great. Well, what came up for me was the perhaps the most important guiding principle is um, the wisdom of the body to tell you what right action that you should take. For example, uh, lust could be here, but down here or in here is the deeper wisdom of the body that gives you a lot better information and a lot better guidance. I don't know that I have that much to add, except that uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I am surprised that it hasn't been brought up before, incorporated before. And then on the other hand, I'm not so surprised because we get such horrendous mixed messages from our society. Um, It's either, you know, go full bore no matter where you go. You're seeing sexuality thrown in your face. On On the other hand, there are laws being passed. There are, you know demonstrations there and and on a personal level unless you have some kind of inner strength inner stability you're just kind of thrown to the winds with everything that's going on around you which is as complex as when you see another person and they're you know being brainwashed by the same stuff so um i just want to thank you for bringing this up it just like um you know, I wished I'd known this a long time ago. <laughs> I swore I wasn't going to say anything because I spoke the two previous times, but we did note within the group that this is the smallest group we've had um, for the day-longs. For the, many of us have come to day-longs, Friday day-longs for year Dharma practice days for years, and this seems to be the smallest group, and I wonder if it's because of the topic. But if you framed it and had a separate day-long on sexuality as spiritual practice rather than calling it ethics which does sound like there's going to be a pejorative perhaps in there, um, you might draw a lot of people. And we, we all... <laughs> all of whom would find it as worthwhile as we did to have this Eightfold Path as a framework. It's not just right action. Sexuality is not just to be um, right. confined to the right action uh, bucket or folder or file. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I think that's very good. It was great. And, on one hand, I think this is such an important topic, I wish more people came... On the other hand, uh, I think this number we had was really, really nice. I think somehow, I feel that somehow the closeness that happened in this room and your groups was partly because of this number we have, so I'm pretty content. Maybe we'll do it sexuality and spirituality and have registration. <laughs> and limit him if he'll come. So, Arthur, your turn. Nick, you ready? <laughs> explaining, explaining, explaining publicly what 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 six grown what what six grown men think about sexuality is uh, <laughs> so so uh, trying to find uh, some kind of commonality to it. Um, I I think we all agreed that. Uh, there was some question about how and where and why, but we all agreed that the Eightfold Path includes it and somehow wouldn't be much of a path if it didn't include it because it would be leaving out an important piece of life. Maybe you said that. Um, I think you did say that. Um, 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 Then, so... 
as we spoke, it was clear that sexuality was included in almost everything we did, either as background or foreground or hidden or... And we all wished that um, it was more up front than more, less, so much of it in the background. Um, 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 um. And then we, I think we agreed that we all brought a lot of back. So, you know, this is a room full of mostly people over their 50s, although some younger, but not, you know, 10 years younger. There's no... So our relationship to sexuality is um, quite different than it would have been long ago, and so we're all seeing it from a certain perspective. The, the wisdom of age. The, wis- the, the wisdom of, <laughs> of age, or the, or, the, or, the, or the foolishness of age. Yeah, painful <laughs> experience. But anyway, from, from the point, perspective of age... Um, um, and um, uh, I think that one piece of that perspective uh, is that we all wished that um, either we hadn't or we aren't or we wouldn't be causing harm for ourselves or somebody else. The pain of... We all talked... We all had experiences of the past that included pain related to sexuality and the fact that um, it was a secret. The, uh, how we what, what, how we were involved in it was there was a secret part of it that caused the pain. Great. So the last group. Um, I was chosen. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have um, volunteered. Um, but uh, a lot of the subjects that have already been spoken about um, came up. I think um, looking at um, right sexuality as the ninth step in the April path, or giving it so much um, uh, space and uh, but also integrating it so that um, there wasn't this separation of the spiritual and the body. Uh, the body does what it needs to do, and then you go on your spiritual path. Uh, but of, uh, of really honoring and, and seeing where the integration is. Um, and uh, uh, one of our members talked about uh, both the spiritual and um, sexual uh, experiences, uh, when you're open, come out of a, a real mystery. Uh, they're not, they cannot be orchestrated. Um, it's more from being open that, that the most beautiful things arise. Um, and I think the other thing was, uh, because this practice trusts the, the body, is the great teacher, um, so why not um, trust the body in that, uh, in the sexual realm as well. Is there anything else? I particularly like the idea of the um, ninth step um, because taking all the other steps before 
um, leads you into a more mindful um, experience, mm. which uh, is more likely to be a lasting and caring one. Nice. That's nice. Great. Thank you. Very nice to hear from you. And um, <clears throat> so I think it's a, um, in the context of 2,500 years of Buddhism, it's a little bit of a radical thing to explicitly name sexuality, sexual expression, sexual activity <clears throat> as, be, as possibly being part of the spiritual path. Um, so if it's going to be part of the spiritual path, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we're, we're part of, partly we're pioneers in discovering how to make that the case. Uh, we don't have a, you know, we don't go back to the discourses of the Buddha to find out how you do this. There's not a lot of manuals or just, you know, help books about how to do this. And I think we're kind of like the first generation of, in the modern world of people who really are interested in this in a new way. And I like to think of it as an experiment. And hopefully it's an experiment that proves to be worthwhile for all of us. That it uh, shows us a path forward uh, to freedom. And I think I'm, I think it is, and I think that um, for some people it's a really good, strong path of freedom. For some people, it's probably more the path to freedom is probably more efficiently done in relationships and in, in the sexual relationships than is done out of them, which is, goes against what some of the tradition says, where the most efficient way is to be celibate, because it's less complicated, right? You don't have to deal with the kids, you don't have to deal with all the other stuff, and and um, and uh, the complexities of relationships. But I think it's really an individual matter that for some people, yes, monastic life or celibate life is really the right thing for them and really helps them along in their path. And for other people, it, uh, it's more efficient as a practice, as a path, to do it in the context of relationship. And we don't want to kind of say it should be one or the other, one is better than the other. It really depends on the individual who's doing it and with the sincerity in which they're doing it, the honesty in which they're doing that. I think that there are monastics that I know who I don't think, uh, I think their, their spiritual freedom would be much greater if they had stayed celibate and addressed their sexuality in very honest ways as opposed to repressing it or denying it or pushing it to the side. So um, anyway, so I hope that uh, uh, you'll consider your sexuality in whatever form it takes, all the possible forms it could take, that it's, it can be addressed uh, from the point of the Eightfold Path and be made into part of the path for you. Okay? So let's take a, uh, maybe a short break. Let's start again here at 3.15, and then we'll come back to uh, finish up, 15 minutes finishing up. And when we come back, we'll sit in a circle, as a one big circle.
I had it off. And I was wondering. Okay. Somebody there. Thank you so much. Really, it was it was exceptional today. And and what I felt is a, a connection, deeper connection with everyone, an openness, a lightness. But I was hoping that we can mix with the men too. The Maybe we learn from them, <laughs> and they learn from us, from our own issues with sexuality. I think they heard enough from <laughs> us today. But yeah, no, I think it'd be good to uh, to also have across the genders and um, and uh, explore a variety of. It's also there's all these different perspectives, and there's all these different genders too. It's not just two. Uh, I hope that having just two today was okay with the people who are here. And um, but you know there's other genders and other you know all kinds of other ways of being, and so I think finding find some, finding some way to be inclusive and include it all is really important. So the idea of including those poor men, I think, is is a good thing. I appreciated that you explored this with us, and because um, I've just had. I realized today, man, there's just been so much unskillful behavior related to sexuality in my past that I realized I really walled it off and then was so ashamed of it Mm -hmm. that I kind of went forward with my spiritual path thinking, I don't want to do that again. And so it it felt like the beginning of an integration in many ways of okay, that did happen, and I'm confident now that I would never react that way or act out like that. Um, But there's got to be some forgiving there and some coming to terms with what occurred. So this is a good start to it today. Some people find find it easier to forgive themselves for their suffering they've caused around sexuality when they realize that just about everyone has. You know, one point or others, uh, most people. Or as Jack Cornfield says, who, he, 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 I won't ask you to raise your hands, but he asks, and, you know, uh, uh, please raise your hand if you haven't made a fool of yourself for your sexuality. <laughs> 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 and, you know, no, you know, who's going to dare raise their hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. As, as Steve said, I did come a long ways from Portland, and he asked me if um, I thought it was worth coming down here, and I, I definitely think it was worth it. Uh, the energy in this room, um, as you had said, was, was beautiful. And um, you know, I'll just say again um, how honored I was to meet you, Gil. You're definitely one of my heroes now. So okay. thank Great, you. Brad. Come back. Come back. And I'll be back. <laughs> I, I, it just occurred to me, I, I wonder what it would have been like to have a big contingent of much younger people in the mix. Yes. Um, you know, the discussions were so open and honest and everything, but it was still kind of a level, kind of a, you know, <laughs> insight and, and whatever. So anyway, um, it would be nice to have a you know, a strong contingent of much younger people. But there's more, there was more sexual energy in the room. Right, and, and, and you know, and, 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 and more... They're, they're checking each other out. I, you know, well, I don't, 
don't know about that. It's just like you know the 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 frame of mind agree, is completely you. different. I you completely know? agree with you. Yeah, I think it would be good. Again, this idea of inclusion. It would be nice to include everything yeah. in the room, everything in the on the table, so we can look at it all and respect it all and yeah. discuss it yeah. and explore and it all. Thank you. I had no idea what I was coming into today. I just came because I hadn't been able to come to the others, and it was like, thank you very much. It just is um, kind of freeing, you know. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, I would like to uh, express some uh, gratitude to the. Okay, I'd like to express some gratitude to the men that we talked today. It's uh, seldom that I'm actually I have to come here most of the time, but it's seldom to be in a group of men who will speak so frankly and honestly and openly. Uh, I don't think we're good at it, generally speaking. And uh, the group we had today was very good at it. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Very nice. Uh, out of a relationship, a sexual relationship comes companionship which is very, very beautiful, and it's there all the time. Compa- yeah, so, so I think to combine sexuality with companionship makes it deeper. Yeah. Great. So let's go around. Uh, maybe I start with you, Howard. Uh, we're going to go around and everyone say their name, because we've been a community here for the day, and some of you hopefully said your names when you are in your group, but I think it would be nice for everyone to hear. So if you could... My name is Howard. I'm Kate. I'm Matthew. I'm Catherine. I'm Mary. I'm Amy. Hi. I'm Diane. Diana. Fiona. Trudy. And Gil. Richard. Steve. I'm Don. Marie. Jenny. Mark. Great. So may whatever benefit that's come from our exploration and discussion today, may it uh, spread from here out into our community so that our willingness to be honest and open about sexuality supports the openness and health of sexual expression, sexual life in our society as a whole. May everyone have a healthy sexuality, no matter what form their sexuality takes. Thank you. It would be great. Usually these days we ask some people to stay behind to do the cleaning. We have a day long tomorrow. It's nice if it was tidy. It'd be really good if the four bathrooms were cleaned and the rug was, uh, and also swept out there because of the eating. Do we have maybe... uh, six people who could stay and help with the tidying up? 
So one, two, three, four, five. Great. I'll, and, I'll give you and, your yeah, Rich.